Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to worship together. Thanks, Bill. Um, I am always uh, delighted to worship together and, and sing precious truths like that. I love that line, for from you, or from you are all things and to you are all things. That's inspired by Romans 11, uh, I believe it's 35 or 36. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, and all things exist for his glory. It's a wonderful biblical truth. Uh, this weekend, as we uh, think about tomorrow, we recognize that what is a habit for many tomorrow is to go have fun and barbecue and enjoy the sun and family, which are all good things. I want to be mindful of the fact that there are families who will be grieving tomorrow. There are families who will be looking at pictures of a loved one that they lost, and they'll be remembering on that Memorial Day a family member who paid the ultimate sacrifice for them, for you, for me. And so in light of that, I, I think it'd be fitting just to take a moment to pray for those families, uh, knowing that uh, there will be many in sorrow tomorrow as we will probably be having fun. So let's pray for those families right now. Lord, I just come to you and ask that you would show yourself gracious and merciful, comforting and peace-giving and hope-giving to any family who tomorrow will be feeling that sting of death in the family member that laid down their life for all of us. Lord, I ask that you would let them know the rich comfort of your Holy Spirit that you would give them that peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I pray that if there are any military families that are feeling that pain tomorrow that don't know you, Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would draw them to you, that they would see their need for Jesus Christ, that they would place their faith in you, find their hope in you, their joy in you. Lord, that you would be everything that they need and give them a hope eternal beyond this temporal pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we are here this morning hearing the dull roar of the fans in the room, this should be the last Sunday where the HVAC is not operational. So thank you guys for bearing with us there. Um, they, they're supposed to be working on it, fixing it this week. They had to get it shipped in and all that. So uh, thank you for your patient endurance in suffering, sort of. This is our last week in the book of James. Eleven weeks we will have spent in James's letter. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. And in this section wherein we're closing up, or James was closing up his letter that he wrote to the churches that were spread out, we're going to see and talk today about the power of prayer, the importance of prayer, the, the call to prayer. And I'm reminded of when I was six years old in 1990, living in Coral Springs, Florida, playing in my best friend's driveway. His name was Nicky, and he had a boombox. And we're talking about a boombox from the 90s, the big rectangle that was about this big that had the handle on it that you could detach the speakers if you wanted to set them in different spots. But if you were a true 90s kid, you knew that the cool thing to do was walk around with that boombox on your shoulder. And I remember in 1990 being taught this powerful truth about the power of prayer as my friend stuck in that, that cassette tape and closed it up. Kids, don't worry about that. You'll learn about it in history class. And he put that cassette tape in and pushed play. And I was taught that's word we pray. Pray, pray. We got to pray just to make it today. Hopefully, it sounds like maybe a few of you are familiar with the theologian M.C. Hammer. We got to pray. Pray. Yeah, we got to pray just to make it today. And uh, it's funny, that was a, a memory from my childhood, but even still to this day, if I think about how important prayer is, 
That's a song that comes to mind. Maybe if we fast forward a few, a few years and actually hop over into the full Christian music spectrum, we could have Stephen Curtis Chapman singing, uh, let us pray, let us pray everywhere and every day, or every way maybe, every moment of the day, it is the right time. Like, am I the only one who knows that song? I, I see a couple of smiles maybe, but a few songs that encourage us and remind us of the importance of prayer, yet even without those songs, if you open your Bible and you open any book, you find prayer. You find it in Genesis, you find it in Revelation, you find it in the Gospels, you find it in the Epistles, you find it in the historical literature of the Old Testament, you find it in the prophetic books. You find prayer as a thread throughout Scripture. You see the call and commands unto prayer. You see the benefits of prayer. You see the blessing of prayer, of communing with God. Prayer is important and powerful and a gift given to us. James chapter 5 Verse 13, we'll pick up where we were. James says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, will cover a multitude of sins. I am going to dig a little deeper into that chunk of scripture that we just read, but I can simply say, without even having to do deep study or anything like that, it's pretty plain and clear what the message is that James is finishing off his letter with, and that is this. Pray. Pray. Prayer is powerful. It is powerful in your suffering. It's powerful in your sickness. It's powerful in all areas of your life from a righteous person praying. And so um, let's look now into verse 13 again as we just read all this where he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let's remember last week, we're in the earlier parts of James chapter 5. James was encouraging the believers who were suffering, saying, Hey, those of you who are suffering, endure patiently looking to the return of Christ. He, he cites that the judge is at the door, saying that Jesus is coming back soon. And because of that, in light of that truth, endure suffering patiently recognizing that there is a day coming soon where suffering will not even happen anymore. There is a day at the door where there won't even be any more sickness or pain or sorrow or grief. And in light of that truth that is impending, man, endure that suffering. Don't lose your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't become so distraught that you turn away from him. Yet he continues on the message to those who are suffering in what we just read, where he says, is there any among you suffering? He's saying, hey, if you're suffering, endure because Jesus is coming. Is there any among you suffering? If so, let him pray. We wouldn't, wouldn't we, any of us, I think if we took a survey of our lives, I think all of us could probably say, we wish we prayed more than we do. I think most of us, if not all of us, if we're honest, could pray more than we do. And we would love it if prayer was more of our default, right? Like for us, prayer more often tends to be like 911. It's like we reserve it for emergencies wherein we need the expert or the higher power to intervene. And something bad enough finally happened that I got to pray about it. 
Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be more biblical? Wouldn't it be more beneficial for us if we could learn to live a life of prayer? Like where Paul, uh, writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, pray without ceasing. And I've talked about this a little bit before. And how do we even do that? Does that mean that like while we are eating our lunch, we're like trying to like talk through the food to keep praying that in meetings that we're in, we're like under our breath praying while meetings are going on, that in the middle of a conversation that we're praying all the time, not necessarily. In fact, that might be kind of rude. I don't think that's what Paul is trying to prescribe to us. Rather, a lifestyle of just perpetual prayer, that in those moments of gaps in between while we're driving, when we're walking, when we're doing whatever we're doing, that we would be more prone to pray all the time. Paul, why is, or not Paul, why is James teaching us this? It's a teaching moment where he's trying to help us understand two things in our suffering. And one is in our suffering, endure patiently, patient endurance. And then two, the importance of prayer. I want to talk quickly about the patient endurance, piggybacking off of last week. And I'll say this. If you don't have room for suffering in your theology and your belief about God, I doubt you're reading the Bible very much. Because if you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you see scripture after scripture, book after book, where suffering is talked about. Not only talked about in a way as if it's present, but actually even talked about a way wherein it is granted to us. Like when in Romans 8, where Paul said, and, and we will be glorified with him, granted we suffer with him. Or even the Apostle Peter in his writings where he talks so much about suffering and, and being patiently enduring in suffering. Okay, go to Jesus in John 16, where he says, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Scripture after scripture, all throughout, especially the New Testament, there is so much talking about suffering. We can see book after book, letter after letter, where it says things like, blessed are those who endure till the end. Why would you need to endure if there wasn't suffering? We can see, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's again, James talking from our weeks previously. So earlier, James was saying, hey, if you're suffering, endure suffering patiently. Keep the hope that the Lord is coming back soon and be patient in your endurance. Now he's saying in his same letter, and hey, also if you're suffering, pray. Pray. You should be praying. In this moment, he's about to dig his heels in and push a little harder into this call to prayer. But before we move on, I'll just ask this. You know, I said a moment ago, how many of us could pray more than than we do now? Let's just go ahead and let's be candid. Show of hands, if you could pray more than you do now, raise your hand. I'm right there with you, okay? How many of us should pray more than we do right now? Right. We all could, we all should. Then the question becomes, why don't we? What stops us from praying more than we do right now? I have a few ideas about that. Number one, I think it's essentially unbelief. Unbelief that we don't believe in the power of prayer, so we abstain from going to God in prayer. Like if we actually believed that God was going to do what we asked him to do, you couldn't stop us. You couldn't stop us from praying. And now I'm not saying you never pray so you don't believe that God answers prayer. Sometimes we believe things, yet we don't believe them fully enough. Like it's more of a mental ascent thing in our head where we go, yeah, I believe prayer works. I believe God hears and answers prayer. I believe that God acts on our behalf. I believe that God still heals and God still provides and God still does things like this. Well, then why don't we ask him more often? And I think it's not because necessarily that we don't believe those things are true, But we don't believe to an accurate degree how true those things are. And that unbelief in the way that God wants us to pray to him and in the fact that he wants to answer in line with his will, then we would be praying all the more. We'd be turning to him all the time. And so that that unbelief can stop us from praying. Another thing that stops us from praying is pride. 
Parents, this is like your toddler who you do something for them and they go, I wanted to do that. And you're going, well, sweetheart, I understand that you wanted to do that, but what you don't realize is it went way better for you with me doing it because I'm smarter, stronger, more muscle memory, more experience. I know how to do better what you just did. And that's what we do is we, a lot of times, this is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which I've quoted quite often, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's talking about prayer. That in all that you do, in all your ways, acknowledge God in prayer, and he will direct your paths. I love the quote from a pastor, Jared C. Wilson. He's an author. Um, in one of his books, Gospel Driven Church, he said, he said, prayer is expressed helplessness. Prayer is expressed helplessness. And he goes on to say, in so much as we are not prayerful, we're saying, God, I've got this. When we don't bring things to the Lord in prayer, we are saying to God, I'm good. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. I have the ability. I can do this on my own. And I think that's very true that our pride gets in the way because we want to be able to feel good about our decisions that we made or the things that we did. And it's so simple, whether something is big or small, to simply go, Lord, would you help? It doesn't have to be some long oration. In fact, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for praying that way. He said, don't pray like the Pharisees who heap up words, all these things that they keep saying over and over, these vain repetitions trying to impress people. I think that could be another thing that stops us from praying is sometimes intimidation where people feel like, well, I'm not really good at prayer. Yes, you are. You might think, well, I can't pray like you, Pastor Stephen. I'm not the goal. Or some person who you think prays impressive prayers is not the goal. You know what the goal is? Talking to God. Can you do that? Can you ask? After last service, I had someone who was talking to me about praying for people who were sick. And, and they said to me, do you have like a kind of like a, a script that you follow or like a prayer that you've kind of memorized that you pray in those moments? And I said, no. And they said, well, how do you... I mean, how do you decide what to pray? And I said, well, I pray by, for them by asking for, from God what I would want him to do for them. It's not that complicated. Like if you're sick, I'm going to ask God to heal you. And if he is not willing to give that healing immediately or until the end of your life in your complete healing, then I ask that he would give you the grace to endure that suffering that like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he prayed that the thorn from the flesh would be taken from him, he asked God three times to take that away and, and, and the Lord replied, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Telling Paul, I'm not answering the prayer the way you want it answered because you need to know my grace and my strength in your life, not your own. And so, all of that is to say, let's not let this intimidation factor of like, well, I can't pray as good as someone else. Yes, you can. All it takes is sincerity in your heart, bringing your requests to the Lord. And finally, the last thing that I think gets in the way of people praying or, or stopping us from praying is a guilty conscience. Our knowledge of our sin. Sometimes we stumble, we fall, we sin against God. And then the accuser of the brethren comes bringing condemnation against us saying, oh, you did that. You better not go to God right now because God sees everything and God knows your heart and God knows what you did. So you better not go to him in prayer asking him for stuff. Listen, the parent, the good and loving father wants their child to come to them with their sin, with their offense. I remember when I was a child, I broke my father's stapler. And I hit it and because I didn't want to get in trouble. And then my dad came up to me like two weeks later. I had forgot it happened. And he comes around the corner with his stapler. And I'm like, oh. And he says, Stephen, did you break my stapler? And I said, yes. And I was like super sensitive kid who cried at the drop of a hat. And I'm crying. He's like, yes. And I'm scared of the punishment that I'm going to get. And he says, son, 
why didn't you come to me when you broke it? And I said, oh, I was scared of getting in trouble. He said, Stephen, it's a stapler. I want you to come to me with things like this, not away from me. Don't hide it from me. And now as I'm a parent and I've got two daughters, man, it's just this last week, one of my daughters is struggling a little bit with lying. Okay, maybe she's kind of swan dove into it. Struggling might not be the right word. One of my daughters is lying a lot, and I hate that. And, and so we're trying to teach her the evils of lying and how God wants us to tell the truth and the consequences of lying. And so this last week, she has a daughter who also has a bad habit of putting her shirt in her mouth and sucking on it and chewing on it, and it stretches out the collar and it gets it soaking wet and all this stuff. And so I said, sweetheart, this happened like two days ago. I said, sweetheart, why is your, no, I, wait, this was yesterday. I said, sweetheart, why is your shirt wet right here? And she said, I don't know. And I said, I think you do know. And she said, I don't know why it's wet. So I must have spilled. And I said, did you chew on your shirt like I've told you many times not to do? No, I think I was crying and my tears got on my shirt. I'm like, that's interesting. So why was just one of your eyeballs tear ducts working? And why did it all come off over here? And why does it look like your shirt was in your mouth? It sounds like you're not telling me the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying, Daddy. I didn't put my shirt in my mouth. And I'm like, sweetheart, if you did, please just tell me the truth. And I, your punishment will not be big. But if you're lying, your punishment will be bigger. And she's like, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And Katie's trying to help me, you know, not be someone who's always skeptical of our daughters and not be someone who's skeptical of lying and looking for lying. And she's kind of like, you know, Stephen, we need to, let's, let's take them at their word. And I'm going, yeah. I agree, but she's lying. <laughs> and then um, I, I, I go back outside, and I'm working on a, a project outside. And a few moments later, Katie had talked to her, and Joey comes out. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart, if you're watching this way years later. I love you, and I forgive you, okay? Um, she comes out, and uh, she says, Daddy, I lied. And I was like, I know you did, honey. Thank you for telling me. I want you to come to me when you do something wrong. And she's like, I know. I'm sorry. All that to say, don't let sin hinder you from going to God first in confession of your sin and in repentance and turning away from your sin. And then secondly, in bringing your needs before him. Let's be a people who get pride out of the way, get sin out of the way, and let's be a people who ask of God both big and small and often. Let's be a people who ask of God big things. Let's ask of God more than we can ask or let's let's ask him for bigger things than we think we should ask him to do. Man, don't be scared to ask God to do huge things. You can look throughout scripture like he did miraculous things and I don't think God has done doing miracles. I believe God still heals today. I believe God still massively intervenes in our lives today. Let's ask him for big things. God loves to give glory to himself by answering our prayers. I I th- I think about um, there's a man in our church who I know had a certain cancer and was going to the clinics and stuff about that cancer, getting treatment and all that. And he would testify to you today that every single person in his department with that cancer has passed, except him. God granted healing to him. God still does things like that today. Let's ask him. And let's trust him. Let's be a people who ask God for big things. Let's also be a people who ask God for small things. God delights in communing and fellowshipping with you. It doesn't have to be cancer. It can be, Lord, help me in this meeting. It can be, Lord, give me discernment. It can be, Lord, help me be disciplined in the grocery store while I'm hungry. It can be anything and everything. The Lord delights in his children turning to him and communing with him and talking to him and asking things of him. Let's be a people by the grace of God who ask big and who ask small and who ask often.
that we would pray often, or often as some Wisconsinites might say. Remember back in James chapter 4, James said, you do not have because you do not ask. And why would we not? As children of the good, gracious, benevolent God, why would we not be a people who ask all the time? Now, before we dig deeper into the scriptures that we read, I want to take a second to teach what I believe is the biblical design and style and prescription, if you will, for prayer. And that is this, asking. Prayer in scripture is prescribed to us as asking of God. Why am I taking a a second on this? Because there is a popular method of prayer that has risen to common practice, especially in evangelical Christianity, which is to practice prayer not by asking, but by declaring and decreeing and demanding. This concept of like, I declare that I'm healed, or I declare and decree that I'm prosperous or whatever. I'll label it prosperity gospel, word of faith theology. And I want to warn against it, this, this idea of declaring and decreeing things. This comes from bad hermeneutics. And here's what I mean. That's bad handling of Scripture, bad interpreting of Scripture. One of the primary areas this comes from is people taking Romans chapter 4, where Paul is talking about, the, uh, about Father Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham received the promise from God of faith as he believed in God who, who brought the dead to life and spoke things into existence that did not exist. And people have taken that verse talking about God speaking our universe into existence. Ex nihilo is the, the, the term of, of out of nothing. God created everything. God said, let there be and everything became He created everything, and people take this verse talking about that God, saying God, or Abraham believed in God, and his faith in God made him righteous, and they take that to go, so we declare and decree and speak things into existence too. What? That's not at all. That's not at all what that passage is talking about. This is why context matters, because you can take a verse like that and take it to go, Oh, God who spoke things that be not as though they were. And so we do too. We speak things into existence. And then they take all these other random verses and put them in a blender to create this hodgepodge theology that the Bible's not teaching. The Bible does teach us a lot about prayer. But what you can notice in what the Bible says about prayer almost always is a posture or even a description of asking Well, what's the problem with trying to confess and declare and decree? Well, a couple of things. The first problem with handling the passage that way is that it lends to us declaring things that be not as though they, or I'm sorry, the problem therein is that number one, that passage talking about God, we're not God. We don't have the ability to speak and make a universe happen. We don't have the ability to do everything that God did. Now, God does by his grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit, grace us and gift us with miraculous things in certain moments and in certain times for his purposes and for his glory. And you might say, well, Stephen, what about don't believers, aren't Christians given authority? In ways, yes, we are given authority. There are measures and degrees or angles in which we have authority, just like I have given my daughters authority over our dogs. (laughs) I have greater authority over our dogs, and I share a measure of that authority with my daughters. And so all that to say, does God giving us some authority mean that we have the same level of authority that God has, wherein we can do anything and everything that he can do, where we read a scripture about God who speaks things into existence and therefore infer that that means we can do the same? by taking verses that aren't trying to say that and making those verses say that. Okay, second problem with this is that asking is taught and modeled in the New Testament over and over and over, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. Asking is the method of prayer that we're actually taught in the Bible. Not only is it what we're taught, but it's what we see modeled in the life of Jesus, 
Now, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he did do some declaring, decreeing, if you will, some commanding, telling the storm to stop, things like that. Yet, he taught his disciples to pray in an asking manner. And then beyond that, Jesus told people, like Matthew 7, 7, ask and you will receive. In Mark chapter 11, he said, whatsoever things you pray when you ask, if you believe, you'll have them. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, Jesus, um, uh, he said, whenever two or more of you are gathered together in his name, whatsoever you ask, you will receive. So Jesus taught prayer as asking God of things, not declaring or decreeing or demanding or speaking them into existence. Beyond that, the apostles also, Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What do we see there? We see Paul saying to them, man, guys, I've been trying to come see you. I haven't been successful yet. Every time I think about you, I pray asking that God would let me get to you. Let me come see you, recognizing that he's asking and it's subject to God's will. That he, he said, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He recognized he had to ask and he recognized it was subject to God's will. In Ephesians 3.20, when Paul is praying for the Ephesians, he says this. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, inferring again that, that prayer. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Not your demands. Your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting, even there, that Paul's saying, don't be anxious, but pray and let your requests be made known to God. And he didn't say, and he'll answer your prayers, although he will often answer your prayers. He said, he'll give you peace. That when you pay, pray about it, he'll give you peace. Um, James chapter four, we've already mentioned that, that James said, you do not have because you do not Come on, you do not have because you do not ask. First John chapter 5 and verse 14, the apostle John said this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That's just a few, there's more, but for time's sake, I can't keep going on them. Scripture paints a picture of prayer as being us asking of God, not speaking things into existence. Do our words have power? Yes, and I'm not even digging into that today because I don't have time. But this theology of, of small gods or little g gods theology where we were created in God's image and therefore we are also little gods. He's big G, capital God, and we're little gods. That's word of faith theology. That's heresy. I'll just say it. It's just heresy. And it, it, it puts us on the level with God, which is dangerous. And nowhere in Scripture are we taught to declare and decree something as such. Rather, we are taught over and over and over and over and over, Old Testament to New Testament, cover to cover. We are taught to ask of God even in prescriptive verses talking about prayer. So the prayer of petition, the prayer of faith, the prayer of healing, provision, prayer for peace, for guidance, anything and everything that you want to ask of God, we do so by asking. We ask what is on our hearts. My daughters are expert askers. <laughs> they ask me stuff all the time, every day, my daughters ask me things. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how we ought to be to our Heavenly Father. Why do my daughters ask me for things all the time? Number one, they recognize that there are things they want to do or have or accomplish or whatever that they are limited in their ability to bring to pass. They recognize, I can't reach the top shelf. Daddy, could you get down the Play-Doh? They know they ain't getting Play-Doh without my intervention. That was on purpose. <laughs> 
They have to ask because it's beyond their ability. The second reason that my daughters ask me of things all the time is that even though there might be something that they can do, that they have the ability to do, they recognize I'm in charge. And that sometimes they want things that are not in line with my will. And so they ask because they recognize that I have authority over them and they need my permission. And because I'm a good father who loves them and wants what's best for them, sometimes I tell them no. Amen. It's exciting. <laughs> Let's be a people who ask of God big and small and often. Back to James chapter 5 and verse 13. Woohoo! Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let's pray. When you're suffering, yes, endure, and yes, pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Small, quick caveat here. I dare say, all the more when things are going well, when we're cheerful, we need more grace. We need to recognize all the more that we need to be tuned into God, thinking of God, thanking God, praising God. That's why, why James here says, if you're suffering, hey, pray. If you're cheerful, Praise God. Sing praises to God. Why? Because when things are going well is when we tend to forget God. When, when we're not suffering, the suffering drives us. It's like, ouch, God, help. I can't fix this. But when things are going well is when we tend to start trusting in ourselves. We start straying. We start forgetting our God who we need at all times, the good and the bad and the ugly. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James trying to use Elijah there as a picture of like, he's no different than you and me is what he's saying. He said he's a man with a nature just like you and me. And he prayed fervently, and God answered his prayer, making the rain go away, <laughs> making the rain stop. Notice, Elisha wasn't like Jesus where he said, peace be still. He prayed, he asked, and God answered. And then he prayed again and asked the rain to come back, and God answered. He prayed fervently. James is trying to cite the Old Testament here to help us see we're no different. We can pray. Can we see where he says the, right, or the prayer of the righteous person is powerful in its working? Okay, who's the righteous person? The person who is right with God. That's what righteous means. Does it mean you're a person who has it all together or you're a person who's dotted every I and crossed every T? No. How do you know if you are righteous? Here's the gospel this morning. If you have confessed your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are in right standing, in right relationship with God. You are not his enemy. You are his son, his daughter. If that's you, you are the righteous person James is talking about, which is encouraging because that means you're prayer is powerful. Your prayer makes a difference. Your prayer moves the hand of God when you pray in line with his will. Well, how do I know if I'm praying in line with his will or not? I, I don't know. Ask. Ask what you think he would want you to ask and then just trust that the father's going to say yes or no in line with his will. My daughters model that perfectly. They ask me all sorts of things. They ask me stuff all the time. And I love when I can tell them yes. I want to tell them yes all the time. But sometimes they ask for their destruction. Sometimes they ask for things that are not good for them. Sometimes they ask for things that don't work with my plans. And therefore, sometimes, because I'm a good father by the grace of God, even though I'm flawed, because of that, sometimes I say no to them. James teaches that we should pray if we're suffering. We should pray if we're sick. Both church leaders, he said, if anyone among you is sick, let them gather together the elders of the church, anointing them with oil, praying in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, 
confessing your sins to one another, praying for one another that you may be healed. So we see this picture here wherein, yeah, man, if, if you feel like you need the, the leadership of the church to come together and pray for you and anoint you with oil, this is one of those times where, if I'm honest, I was reading the Bible and I was like, oh, man, I, I feel like we're not actually facilitating obedience to Scripture here enough. Like, I haven't made it an option, really, for people to go, hey, pastor, I'm really, really sick. Can you pray for us and, and lay hands on us and anoint us with oil? We haven't facilitated that well enough, and we want to be obedient to Scripture. So if that's you, uh, that's available. <laughs> Beyond that, he goes on to say, confessing our sins one to another that we may be forgiven and that we may be healed. And so also saying that we pray for one another. So yes, church leadership is, we're happy to pray for you, yet also we want to pray for one another. Um, if we are right with God, we should pray knowing that our prayers make a difference. Another thing we see from this passage is that our faith has something to do with it. There is an element wherein our faith matters. And I don't want to dip into the error of word of faith theology, where it's all about, did you have enough faith? And if God didn't answer your prayer, it's because you didn't have enough faith or because of sin in your life two possible outcomes, but it's not necessarily always because of those things. That's the whole point of the book of Job. <laughs> Job is painted as a righteous man who suffered grievously. And even jo uh, James mentioned Job earlier in this chapter as someone who endured faithfully, considering the purposes of God in his suffering. Or he said, consider the purposes of God, not that Job considered, but we in hindsight can consider. All of that to say, our faith has something to do with it. What do we do with that? If I'm ever praying for someone who's sick or injured or whatever it might be, or if I'm praying for something in your life that's like a big ask and I feel like I'm, I'm struggling with my own faith or whether or not I have faith or enough faith, which I think that's a tricky, slippery slope. Here's what I do. I say, Lord... Would you give me faith right now? I take that little seed of faith to ask God to give me more faith to make sure that I can pray the prayer of faith. Our faith matters. It says the elders come together and the prayer of faith will save them. Yet, what is the faith in? It's not faith in our faith, wherein we're going, I've got enough faith, I'm ready. It's faith in the God whom we are praying to. Not faith in the oil, not faith in the elders, not faith in our brothers and sisters in Christ, not faith in our faith, but faith in God. That's why he says, call the elders together, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, recognizing it is the Lord who heals, not the oil, not the prayer of faith, not the person praying, but it is the Lord. So not having faith can be a hindrance. Unconfessed sin we saw in that passage can be a hindrance where he's saying, Hey, if you've got sin, confess it. And here he makes us get really fun and comfortable confessing to one another. We love that, right? How many of you just love telling other people about your sins? Here's the deal. We could take our masks off a lot more than we do. I've been in ministry long enough to know I don't even have to know your life and your story very much to know that you are messed up just like me and just like every other person I've counseled and just like every other person I've ministered to or talked to. We're all messed up, guys. If we could accept that, it makes more room for vulnerability, transparency, and honesty wherein we can know one another better and bear our sins knowing, hey, I can confess this sin to you, my brother, my sister, knowing you've sinned too, and all of us level before the Lord. All of us need forgiveness from God. And so why not just be honest and bear this, this sin uh, to my brother and sister? Prayer... I love this quote from C.H. Spurgeon as a close. <laughs> Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. I love that. Prayer is the slender nerve, that small thing that moves the muscle of omnipotence, saying that our prayer is that tiny piece of the picture that makes the moving power of God act. He's given us that ability to ask him for things. We should do so. As people who are right with God, who confess our sin and get that out of the way, let's be a people who utilize prayer. And then finally, the last things that, J that James says in his letter, the last two verses of 19 and 20, he says, My brothers, 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We must be vigilant to pay attention in love for one another wherein we look and see if we see a brother or sister, someone who professes faith in Christ, if we see them wandering or straying in to sin or off of the path of the Lord, out of the Lord's will and ways, we ought to love them enough to not just go, oh, that's unfortunate for them. I hope they figure it out. I'll be praying for them. (laughs) Yes, we should pray for them, but we should go, brother, sister, hey, I don't know if you realize your feet are getting off of the path. Hey, I love you enough to have an uncomfortable conversation with you and say that some of the things you're doing or deciding or participating in or facilitating are sinful, and I just want to love you enough to say, come back to the Lord's way. I want to save you from where it, that path goes. I want to encourage you to get back on the path of righteous living. That's love. That's not hate, as the world tries to say. Oh, you're so hateful for calling out sin. No, that's love. Saying, I don't want destruction for you. And James is encouraging us, saying, man, if someone's wandering and we pull them back, we're saving them. Ultimately, God's saving them, but he's using us in that moment. Let's have the courage, by the grace of God, to wander into those uncomfortable conversations to say, listen, I love you and I'm concerned because I love you. I just want to shine light on this issue. After James has has over and over forced all this self-evaluation of our faith, he's also given us a means whereby we can observe the fruit or lack of fruit in the lives of others and say, hey, come back. Come out of the clutches of sin. Lord, I pray today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. Lord, I ask that you give us the courage to to pull our brothers and sisters out of the clutches of destruction, out of the grasp of sin. Let us have courage, Lord. I also ask that you would make us a people of prayer, that you would make it our default, our go-to, that we would wake up in the morning and the first thing we would think of is thank you, Lord, for this day that we would dive straight into prayer, that we would finish our day with prayer, that we would have a day full of prayer every day of our lives, recognizing that you've made yourself available to us because you are good and you are loving. In Jesus' name. We're gonna close a little differently today. Rachel and Michael are gonna sing a song and I'm gonna invite you If you want to, if you feel compelled to come down and pray, floor's open, altar's open, come down and pray. If you feel like you want to turn to a brother or sister and confess a sin, do it. If you want to find somebody to pray for you for sickness or something like that, do it. We'll be here for a few moments with this song. Let's take advantage of this opportunity to pray. And then when we conclude, let's go rescue those kids workers from our little blessings. Let's let's tune our hearts right now though into an attitude of prayer. God, I look to you. I'll be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me Just what to do
Stand with me.